want to uh, continue our study on discipling this morning, so um, you'll be helped by using the handout in front of you and also by following along in the Scriptures. Um, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we have one up here that you're welcome to use. Um, so does anyone need a copy of the Bible? Okay. Um, So we're on uh, week 5 of 13 of how we can disciple as uh, as individuals and as a church. And over the last f- four weeks, we've thought uh, about this topic, and we've asked the question, what is discipling? And we've concluded that it is a deliberate and intentional rela- relating of ourselves one to another with the aim of doing them good spiritually. And um, we've also talked about why we should do it, and we've concluded that we should do it for God's glory and for our joy, that it is not a wrong thing to take joy in discipling other people. In fact, God gets glory in that. And then we also looked at some barriers and excuses to discipling, that um, you know, a lot of these excuses that we don't have enough time or we're, we don't want to be in a position of authority, those types of things are really not good excuses when we look at the Scriptures and that this ought to be a priority um, for us as believers. And there's one more question that we have to answer before we turn to the specific and practical matters that's going to take up the remainder of the series, uh, which will begin next week. And that question is, what, what place or what venue is the best for establishing discipling relationships? Where ought we to be discipling relationships? And really, there's a simple answer to it, but it's going to take us some time to to work through it. And we also want to think about how to get started. We'll spend a little bit of time doing that today. Um, and we want to see today that the the most important place, the pri- place, the most the primary place that we ought to be discipling is in the context of the local church. Now when I say local church or when I say church here in this class, I'm not referring to a building. I'm referring to a group of people, a group of believers who uh, name the name of Christ, who follow Christ, who are uh, have committed their lives to serving Him. So that's what I'm talking about when I say in the context of the local church. I don't mean that when you do discipling relationships, you know, if I were to, to be in a discipling relationship with Paul, obviously it would be him discipling me, but if that were the case, we don't have to do it here at the church building, right? We can go to Starbucks or... Um, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or wherever his favorite place is. I'm not sure where it is, but um, it, the, the point is, is that we're doing it within the context of discipling relationships within our membership of the church. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And so, uh, but before we start, I want to say that what I'm not saying is that it's wrong to be in an intentional and deliberate discipling relationship with a, a person who's not a member of our church. Okay, so if you have another believing friend, or maybe even family member. Um, It's not wrong for you to be in that kind of relationship. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that the primary thing that you ought to be concerned about is the ones with whom you've covenanted together. That is, within this local body, you should be thinking about how can I be helping and discipling other believers within this body of believers. This is the best place to have discipling relationships in your local church. Um, so that seems like a pretty straightforward idea. We could just end the class right there, but I think 
Uh, this will take some time just to clarify some things and to answer, hopefully, some of the questions that you might have with regard to this. All right, so let's begin with the word of prayer and ask God's help as we start today. Lord, thank you for uh, the word that that uh, enlightens us, that illumines our minds. Lord, we, we are nothing apart from your word because we wouldn't know uh, very much about you. We would certainly know that you exist, but other than that, we wouldn't know anything about Christ. And so we're thankful that you have preserved for us a record of what you want us to know, all of the truth that, that is necessary for us to come into a right relationship with you. And Lord, how that truth can affect change, not only in uh, bringing us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, which certainly it does, but also in affecting spiritual, long-term, progressive change that moves us from the place when we first believe to the time when we go home to be in glory. And Lord, until that day, Lord, continue to disciple and strengthen us and change us, refine us, use the people in this church to do that, and use us to accomplish that purpose and others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So why, why disciple in the context of a local church? Um, why do this? And I want to give ten reasons why we should disciple. Each of us should be involved in some kind of a discipling relationship within the local church. And when I say we, I've I mentioned before, I just want to clarify this. I've mentioned before that the primary way that our church does discipling is through the preaching ministry. Okay, that's the primary way. So uh, for you to grow as a Christian, you need to be underneath the preaching of God's Word. Okay, That's that's key. We, we all need to hear God's Word preached. We all need to hear it in the context of other believers who are hearing it preached. And so um, that's that's the primary way that discipling happens. What we're focusing on today is on one-on-one discipleship. Now, how can we spur one another on to love and good works? How can we uh, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, Hebrews 3? How can we warn the unruly, encourage the discouraged, and strengthen the weak? Okay, th- those types of things happen through one-on-one discipling relationships, and so that will be the, the main focus of what we're going to look at um, today. So first, the church is called by God to be pure. Ten reasons why we should disciple within the context of the local church. The church is called by God to be pure. Turn to Titus chapter 2 with me. Part of the reason that Jesus came into the world was to create uh, a pure people for Himself, which He calls the church. And so, someone read verses 12 to 14 and listen to um, how Paul describes this this uh, responsibility for us as a church to be pure. Verses 12 to 14. Okay, so verse 12 actually is a continuation of a sentence. It starts in verse 11, really, and talks about 
the gospel. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's the gospel. So the gospel, verse 12, instructs us to deny ungodliness. Ungodliness. How do we move from a place where we are corrupt and, and turning away from God to a place where we're godly? How do we le- move from a place where we're uh, saying no to sin and yes to godliness? And the way, the way that it happens is through the gospel. And as this happens, look at verse 14 again at the end. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. It's not talking about the Jews. It's talking about the church. Okay, so it is in part through discipling relationships that we help other Christians grow in knowledge and personal holiness. This is a, a great part of what Christ came to do. That, that we labor together and encouraging one another uh, with regard to personal holiness. We talked about this last week. The goal of discipling, the goal of our discipling relationships is personal holiness. That that the primary uh, or the, the way that we show ourselves to be Christians is to be holy. We become more like Christ. We become more pure. And this is confirmed here in Titus 2. This should be a desire of our whole church that, that we want to be pure. That we want our whole church to be full of people who are holy and who are becoming more and more holy. Alright, so number one, because God has called the church to be pure. Number two, because you do not have every spiritual gift. This is why discipling ought to happen within the context of the local church. We, we, we ought to consider that the value of church-based discipling as a, is a way for us to balance the weaknesses that we have and the lack of certain gifts with the the gifts and the the um, the strengths of the rest of the body. And so that means that we ought to be a source of spiritual encouragement for others and that should be a normal thing. It should be a normal thing for us to encourage one another. Now that doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, we certainly have areas of weakness and spiritual blindness that may limit us in helping others. But when our discipling relationships are rooted within the community of the local church, there are others within our relationships who kind of balance out our weaknesses by by speaking to those weaknesses. So, for example, do you hesitate to engage in discipling relationships because you're too timid or fearful? Are you hesitant to engage in deliberate discipling relationships because you believe that you lack the full uh, skill or amount of wisdom that is necessary? And... And if that's the case, then I have good news for you, because that, and that is that God knows that you are not sufficient for this great task. God knows that you can't do this all on your own. God knows that you are not the the um, the pinnacle of Christianity, and so He's placed you in a place where you can have other people who have strengths and that can help you along, and where your strengths can be used to help them along. And so, when you disciple in a relationship. Uh, that is within the context of a local church, you actually um, help acknowledge that you don't have all the wisdom, that you need other people. Um, And so the fact is is that if we feel weak, we don't have to fear because we don't have everything that our friends need. And and, uh, that's why we have a local church. All right, any questions on one and two? All right, number three, because the church body provides better accountability. Why should we disciple within the context of the local church? Number three, because 
the church provides better and greater accountability. This is um, better and greater accountability than just our normal friendships alone. In the church, we find a network of of relationships with people who know us in a slightly different way and come to our relationship with a different set of perspectives than our friends do. And this is kind of like you could think of it as a spiritual safety net for you. Uh, Sometimes uh, our friends outside of the church can not necessarily tell us all the things that we need to hear. And... um, and uh, the church is one of its goals or one of its purposes is to is to help you in accountability, and it is to grow you in holiness. And so you can think of the church like a room full of mirrors. That is that that you have people who are getting into the word, understanding the word, and then holding up the word as a mirror to you. So if we have every single person in the church doing that kind of thing, it's as if you walk into a room full of mirrors that shows you uh, not a distorted view of who you are, but a proper view of who you are. You see, when we have these friendships outside that may or may not be Christian, um, their goal might not be accountability. Their goal might not be greater personal holiness. And so as a result, they're not going to hold up the mirror of God's Word to you, and so you're going to have a distorted view of who you are. And I'm going to have a distorted view of who I am. I need this church body to to help shape me, to help um, for help for me to see uh, what kind of strength, uh, weaknesses I need to improve upon. And that that brings about a sense of humility on our part. That you know, just like the last one, we can't do it all on our own. We don't have all the spiritual gifts. Um, we we have to recognize that there are going to be limitations on our part, that we need each other. And um, uh, within the context of the church, as we commit ourselves to the body, it's harder and harder for a person to hide uh, from it when, when the church is operating properly, I should say. It's harder for a person to hide and get out from underneath that accountability. Because a church that's in order and and is is um, using its responsibility properly is going to be like that shepherd who's going after the sheep and bringing them back in, okay? giving them the necessary accountability, saying, no, you can't stray out there. Okay? The fact that you've been out for that long suggests that you're not part of this flock. And so we're going to have to take some action if you're not willing to, to come back based on our uh, based on our plea to bring you back. And uh, hopefully, um, obviously, with the Lord's work in their heart, they will come back. But there are times when they don't. And then that's where John says in his epistle, you know, they went out from us because they were not really of us. Because if they were of us, they would not have gone out. It doesn't mean that everybody that leaves our church is an unbeliever. What that means is that if someone goes out from from the kingdom of light, if they go out from from Christ's kingdom... Which, which is expressed in how the church comes together and has membership, when they go out from that and are a member of nowhere, then that might say something about their spiritual condition. Number four, fourth reason is that we have a limited amount of time. 
we're all challenged by the fact that life is short and time is precious. Even unbelievers recognize that fact. But many of you, uh, I would guess, feel great pressure trying to balance everything in life. All the demands that you have, including your job and your spouse and your children and relatives and church ministries and neighborhood evangelism and a desire to see people discipled within this church. And so... Um, and so I think we ought to think about some of the ways that the ministry of the church can help expand our discipling ministry. So uh, you might be thinking, again, this is one of the excuses that we brought up a few weeks ago, is that I just don't have enough time to be involved in the discipling relationships. I mean, I, I'm tapped out as far as, it, as far as all my responsibilities. And how could I add one more thing that's going to demand some thought and some... Um, some effort on my part, and frankly, just a period of time every week. And that's why I would encourage you to use the, the ministries of this church. Not Don't think formal programs. Okay, Don't think, okay, we got to find a program that the church has and we'll plug one of these people in. Yes, do that. I mean, when we have programs that, that ha- where we have a meal together, use that as a time to disciple or encourage another believer. But But what about just taking... Okay, remember I said the primary way the discipleship happens is through what? The preaching of God's Word. Okay, so why not use the preaching time as a time to to help disciple someone else? Okay, so you could do that a couple ways. Maybe a not a helpful way would be to sit next to them and give them commentary while the preaching's happening. That wouldn't be helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or you could... Since you're both under the hearing of that same message, okay, you could just talk about that. Say, call them up during the week or sit down for coffee sometime or go to lunch after the service and say, let's talk about what the sermon was about on Sunday morning or what the Sunday school lesson or the, the evening service or the Wednesday night. There's all sorts of opportunities to take. In other words, you don't have to get into a brand new deep study of the book of Leviticus or something like that with your friend in order to, with your uh, believing friend who's a member of this church in order to see them discipled. Okay? That, that could be, if you have time to do that, that'd be great. You'll, you'll gain lots of value from that. But why not use what you already have and, and help build on that? Say, listen, hey, why don't you come to church on Sunday? Let's think through the sermon as it's being preached and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. And that's kind of how um, we can we can take what's already being done the 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 meal let's so to speak that's already being prepared and and distributed to the congregation the meal of God's word and then use that and chew on it meditate on it and um, and see how God can use that for shaping our lives. Well, how can we apply what we learned today? I mean, is God's word profitable? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is profitable. So, okay, here, Pastor gave some, some applications. He gave a few applications of how we can apply this to our lives. But So let's think about those. And then, are there any other ways that we can apply this specific passage to our lives? And uh, that, that would be a way that we can do that. So, listen, we all have a limited amount of time. And so that's why we need the church uh, to, to help shape us and use some of the resources that are already being um, given. Any questions on 1 through 4? All right, we need to keep moving. Number 5, 
we disciple within the context of the local church because God is glorified as the body grows together. Um, individualistic Christianity is an oxymoron. Individualistic Christianity. You were never meant to live the Christian life alone. I was not either. And so if you feel that you're growing in maturity as a Christian while you ignore those around you, I would challenge you as to how mature you really are as a Christian. I mean, at what point are you maturing if the body is not reflecting uh, its character in increasing clarity? That is, how can anyone determine whether you're uh, a, a Christian if you're not a part of a local church? God intends for us to glorify Him primarily through our life together as a church. And so we should strive together to grow together. And whether you like it or not, the, the Bible's, uh, the, the New Testament's call for us as Christians is to be a part of a local church, to be tethered together, to be covenanted together around one common belief. Okay, And for us, it's our statement of faith. And, and towards one common goal, that, that we are going to be people who are committed to personal holiness. Um, what would you think if the body of a child didn't grow proportionate to the rest of the body? Just one part grew or a few parts grew. What if just his feet, the feet of a child grew, but the torso and the body stayed the same size? Okay, that, that would be weird. That would be disproportionate. And that's uh, 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 maybe a, a similar analogy could be with our church. It doesn't make sense for us to just have one person just far and away growing while the rest are, are um, lagging behind. Instead, we work together to hold each other up. If we want to mix the metaphors, turn it to a military metaphor. Okay, It's not that we, we get one person to advance way out in front, get to the front lines of the battle while everybody else is lagging behind because eventually he's going to be destroyed. Okay, we, we need to go together. We need to pick each other up. Don't leave anybody behind. Let's, let's work together to get where we need to go. The, the individualistic Christianity is, is not uh, seen in the Scripture at all. Listen to this excerpt from an article that Dr. Aloisi wrote on Detroit Seminary's blog this week. He said, Everywhere you look in the New Testament, you see believers actively participating in a local body. In other words, he says, when a person comes to Christ, uh, what you're going to see happen is that immediately he's baptized and then he joins a local church, that he's added to the church. That's the normal pattern. Uh, Aloisi goes on to say, in fact, the New Testament knows nothing of a perpetually disconnected Christian. Okay, kind of these rogues, these... these uh, um, these guys who are out there all on their own, like, I'm, I'm going to just, I'll, I'll listen to what I want to listen to, I'll read what I want to read, I'll study what I want to study, but I'm not going to commit myself to a local church. He goes on to say, the Apostle Paul says roughly as much about healthy, unchurched Christians. Okay, think about that for a second. Healthy, unchurched Christians. He says as much about that as he does about minotaurs, unicorns, and leprechauns. In other words, they don't exist. If a person in the New Testament was a believer, he was to be connected to, he was to be a member of a local church. And so that's why um, that's why we need to be a part of that. We, we need to recognize that God is more glorified uh, with us as a part of a body rather than us out on our own. 
on our own island, working on our own. God never meant for you to be alone. You, you can't make it as a Christian alone. Any questions on that or thoughts? Our, Bill. And I think uh, my my analogy was pointing more towards, okay, let's take what you're saying. Take a believer who's not a part of a local church who's feeding himself with the Word of God. Okay, But what I'm saying is he could actually become uh, distorted in his view of the Word because he has no one to challenge him or to correct him or to, um, to, to see if his life matches up with his doctrine. That only happens within a local church. And so what I'm saying is that that yes, it is that you need to be feeding on the Word, but you need to be feeding on it within the context of a local church. Not just, I'm going to listen to a few TV preachers, a couple guys I like online, and I can grow as much as I want spiritually. I don't need everybody else. Right. So so that's what I, I'm, I'm saying, that, that that doesn't happen outside of a local church properly. Um, it you, you can't really be healthy and be accountable and really can't fulfill your responsibility of obedience. You think about all the one another passages. I mean, how can who are who are you encouraging? I mean, who are you strengthening? Who are you praying for? Uh, if you're not a part of a local church, number six, building up the church is what you were gifted to do. So I said earlier, you know, we don't all have uh, we don't have every spiritual gift, so we need each other. Here, you actually have a gift, and you are to to use it. Okay, so maybe you don't have all the gifts, and certainly you don't, and neither do I. So you need each other, but you do have some gifts. And because you have a gift, you ought to use it. So someone read for us uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. The Holy Spirit gives every believer a gift to use within the context of a local church. And so listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. Okay, so what was that last phrase? Okay, so we were each given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Okay, our spiritual gifts are not for ourselves primarily. 
They're for other people. They're to be used within the context of a relationship of believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.12, So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Okay, so it's not about, man, I really wish I had that spiritual gift because then more people would notice me. It's about take whatever spiritual gift that the Spirit has given you and use it to excel the church, to build up the church. And uh, so that's why we need to do it within the context of the church. We need to do discipling because it's what the Spirit gifted you to do. Number seven, because discipling is a primary way to show love for Christ and for His church. I think we need to turn to 1 John 4 to see this. Okay, this is what I was kind of alluding to a little bit earlier. That you can't obey all the commands that you are responsible to obey as a Christian if you're not a member of a local church. Uh, Jesus, Jesus taught us how to love in John 15 by laying down His life for His friends. And in His case, He actually gave His life for them. In our case, it is giving up our best interests for the sake of other people. Okay, listen to 1 John 4, 19-21. Someone read that for us, please. Okay, so, and 21 as well. So there's no um, there's no allowance for wiggle room here. If you're a Christian, then you need to show love to notice the the object of your love. It ought to be to, towards your brothers. Okay, the, the brothers here has to do with other believers. Verse 19 says, "We love because He first loved us." So obviously. The way that our love for Christ is expressed is through our love for other believers. And he goes as far as to say, verse 20, that if someone says, I love God, and he doesn't love his brother, okay, he's not uh, committed to their personal holiness, he's not concerned about their sin, then if, he, if someone says they love God and they're not committed to someone else in that way or some group of believers in that way, then John says they're a liar. They don't love God. Okay, Because the only way that we can express, or I should say, the, the, one of the primary ways that we express our love for God is by showing love to other believers. So, you want to talk about your love for God and how much you love His Word and how much um, you're, you're growing and, and yet at the same time you're holding a grudge against that other believer. You can't get over that problem. You can't forgive. You can't do what's best for them because you're so concerned about them doing what's best for you. Then I think you you, you have to wrestle with this passage here because love for God is expressed in love for other believers. And your discipling within a local church is a way to demonstrate your love for God. When you show love to other believers by entering into relationship with other believers and working to help see them grow towards personal holiness 
as they help you grow in personal holiness, you show your love for God. That's genuine love for God. Number eight. We disciple within the context of a local church because it's assumed in Scripture. It's the assumption of the whole New Testament. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Christians gathered together not just because, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to get together because of common, um, all the common ground that we have. You know, we, we, uh, we've been struggling together. People just hate us together. They, you know, we, we have the same sorts of interests and, and, and goals. It's not the, the, the main reason we get together. It is for the purpose of mutual edification. Hebrews 10, someone read verses 24 and 25. Okay, so verse 23 is talking about holding fast to your confession. So stand firm in the faith that you first believed. Uh, that is the faith in Christ that, it, that actually has a hope that's without wavering. And then as you hold fast to that confession, use your confidence in the gospel to strengthen other people. Show your love for them by encouraging them. By, by Look at verse 24. Considering how to stimulate them to love and good works. What can I do to this person who's who's really struggling right now? Okay, and usually, I use a, a grid that comes from Second Second Thessalonians. I think it's chapter two, where uh, uh, when I'm thinking about how to relate to another believer within the context of the church, there's a grid that I think through, and that is first, admonish or warn the unruly. Is it a person who is defiant in his sin, and he just won't get away from it? He, he just, he's got the blinders on. Okay, then I warn him. Listen, this is what needs to happen. This is what the Scriptures say. You need, to, you need to see this for yourself. Okay, that's the holding up the mirror part. The second part is to encourage those who are, are discouraged. So, do you have someone here today that's discouraged? Because just life is just beaten down on them. You've been there before yourself. And you know what it's like. And you, you see it in their eyes. You hear it in their conversation that they can't get away from the discouragement. Do you know what you do to those kind of people? You encourage them. You think about how you can provoke them to love and good works. You, can, you, you think about how you can help lift their burden with them so that they can get to a place where they can start holding other people's burdens. And then the third is to help the weak. So admonish the unruly, encourage the discouraged, and help the weak. There's someone that's just weak. And they just need to be strengthened. Okay, use the Word of God and, and the means that God has given you to help strengthen them. So, the author of Hebrews goes here from pushing people or considering how to spur them on to love and good works immediately to verse 25 talking about meeting together. So, here's one of the primary ways that you can encourage people within this church. Are they discouraged? Are they, do they need to grow in their personal holiness? What the author of Hebrews says, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling, encourage them to assemble together. And I say that, uh, that this is assumed, that is that um, church-based discipling is assumed throughout the New Testament because every epistle, basically besides 
the, the pastoral epistles to Timothy and Titus, uh, every other epistle is written to whom? Okay, to churches. It's congregations. And the purpose of those letters is to encourage spiritual growth. First and Second Corinthians were written to the Christians in Corinth to discourage them from these factions that they had among themselves, and to uh, and to discourage them from this sexual uh, impurity that was going on, and to encourage purity, and to exhort them to conduct uh, congregational worship, to to think about the whole the whole group. First Corinthians 11 says, you know, wait for one another. Don't just go on taking the Lord's Supper and you, you don't even care about who else is involved. Uh, Galatians helps the believers to fight legalism and to live by faith. Pastoral letters are written to Timothy and Titus to help them better teach and encourage believers in the context of the church of Crete and Ephesus. And we could go on and on with all the different books that are written for the purpose of mutual edification. We, Paul wants to encourage the churches. And so the assumption is that discipling happens within the local church. He doesn't just send out uh, you know, rogue individual letters to say, you know, you, you deal with that problem that you have in your spiritual life. He sends it out to all churches. Number nine, because church-based discipling displays unity in the midst of d- diversity. Um, church-based discipling displays unity in the midst of diversity, or God is greatly glorified in this. In his book, uh, The Disciple-Making Church, from which I'm drawing much of this material, Bill Hall makes the point that it's fairly easy to form a parachurch discipling ministry uh, of similar people with similar interests. So, you know, do you have a bunch of college students that need to be discipled? Well, they have InterVarsity for that. You know, do you have a bunch of military people you know, they have different organizations for that. It's easy to get people who are all on the same page, similar interests, similar place in life, and say, hey, let's talk about discipling. But what about a local church? It's full of people from all different walks of life, some people that are well off financially and some people who are not. Some people who are the peak of physical condition and some people who are not. Some people who are the peak of spiritual condition and some people who are not. Some people who are in... The, the workforce in the, as a white-collar worker and some people as a blue-collar worker. Some people who love sports, some people who hate sports, or whatever hobby it is. Okay? We have all of these different varying interests that, that really diversify us, but for some reason we come together and we get along and we love to be together with these people because we have a common interest. And that is the pursuit of holiness as we seek uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that actually promotes unity. You see, when you have a, a, a community or an organization where people are coming together all around a common interest or because they're all in the same life circumstances, you know, we all have toddlers or something, you know, well, it makes sense why they're getting together. They kind of can relate to each other. They're all dealing with the same things, the sleepless nights and, you know, the runny nose and all that kind of stuff. But what about when a group of people get together who don't have a common interest, who seem otherwise would probably not be together because they're not in the same life circumstances. Some are old, some are young. And if they come together, that that highlights the unity that we have around the gospel. 
And that's why our church should be the, the most diverse place in the world. That is, I, I think, you know, one of our goals as a church ought to be to, to diversify ethnically as well as all these other areas that I've just mentioned. Because that actually highlights Christ's gospel. It says that, listen, we're going to come together with people that don't have the same background as, as us. Maybe not even, weren't even born in the same country as us. But they live here and they want to worship Christ. And we're going to do it with them because we love our Savior and we love the gospel. And that actually says something to a watching world. That actually glorifies God. Number 10, because the church is most healthy when it has a culture of discipling. Okay, so just understand that a culture of discipling doesn't happen automatically. That, okay, we decided to be a church, so we're going to disciple. We need to have a culture of discipling where we are doing what Hebrews 10 is telling us to do, which is to consider one another. It's a, it's a command because what's the natural inclination? That we don't consider how to spur one another on towards love and good works, right? That's the natural inclination. How many of us just woke up thinking... I need to spur someone else on to love and good works. It's not natural. We have to think about it. We have to commit ourselves to it. It needs to be... That's why we use the word in the definition of discipling of intentional, deliberate. And I think this is a way in which we show love as we seek to disciple, um, disciple one another. I want to encourage you to take part in this great gospel endeavor. Okay, so I'm not starting a discipling program. You're not going to sign up your name anywhere. It says, I'm going to take on this person or these people, and I want to see them grow this year. Okay, we're not doing that. But what I would like to see is a culture of discipling, where people are, when they're having conversations, they're not just talking about the basics of life, but they're thinking about, uh, and those aren't wrong to talk about, by the way, um, but, but, but also talking about the spiritual things and how we can grow. I, I'd like to see our church be a place where, where, you know, we don't need to sign up on a list in order to to have a position of discipleship, but rather that we're just seeking out members. I mean, I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews is calling for here when he says, "Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works." Saying, who's going to sign up for this? Hey, put your name on the on the sheet in the foyer, so we know who's going to spur one another on towards love and good works. No, he's saying do it. Everybody do it. Everybody think about how you can encourage one another, and how you can point them toward more faithful and regular attendance, so that they can be under the preaching ministry of the the church and the accountability ministry of the church that just naturally. Uh, is a part of who we are. So, how do we grow such a culture? How do we change a culture? And I would say that that there have to be people who are just willing to step up and start doing it. Okay, without the desire for public recognition, but the desire to see an overall pursuit of personal holiness. So let me just um, think. Of, let, let's think together quickly. How do we get started? Okay, just ask a few questions to yourself. Uh, who, what, and when? First, who who should you invest your time in? Who should you invest your time in? Well, there are a number of um, 
things to consider. I mean, who do you know? Who do you already have a relationship with? Okay, who do you know that currently has a need spiritually? And one in which you have a gift that can help encourage them or help warn them or help uh, help them who are weak. What What is the greatest need among the people that you already know? I would suggest to you that might be the place where the Spirit is leading you to help. Okay. Um, think about it like an investment. That Again, you're not going to get public recognition for this, but Think about like an investment. You're going to use some of your time and your resources, maybe some of your even emotional resources, for the sake of someone else. You can help push them on and and carry them in some cases on into uh, glory when they can't even stand up themselves spiritually. There's no cookie-cutter answer to the question of who, but just start thinking about the relationships you already have and one's in which you see a need. Secondly, when? When should you meet? This obviously depends on your unique schedule. So think about um, what I was talking about earlier, which is use the resources that are already being um, given to you as as a congregation, which is the preaching ministry of the Word. Use some of that to to help encourage someone else. Maybe it's once a week, maybe it's every two weeks, maybe it's once a month, but I would say once a year is probably not going to be very help, helpful. Okay, so is it a formal time of meeting? Pro- probably would be best if you did that sort of thing. Today, can we meet uh, every every Sunday afternoon and just talk about the message from the morning? Can we meet every Monday morning? Whatever. Um, that would be ideally. But it also could be done informally. Just say, hey, um, what did you think about that? that, that, that uh, what did you think about that message that we heard last week? Um, I've been thinking about this week and thinking about how I can apply it, and I, you know, I just thought I was wondering uh, how you thought about it this week as well. And then the third question, what? For many people, this is one of the hardest questions. You know, what do I do? Um, and like I said, it's it's more a culture, not a program. So don't think, okay, I gotta I gotta go through. I have to have an exact formula. We have to read a book together. We have to, you know, we have to study this. You, there's a number of things that you can do. It would be help, it might be helpful to read through a Christian book together. It might be helpful to read through just a book of the Bible together. It might be helpful just to talk about uh, and discuss the sermon or to say, hey, can we just meet to pray through the church directory? I want to be accountable to you so that we can be praying for the other members of this church. There's no required curriculum that you have to go through in discipling uh, another believer. Again, here's the kind of the model here in Hebrews 10. Consider one another, how you can provoke them to love and good works. It is a great blessing to be a part of a local church that is following after Christ and who's concerned about personal holiness. And you can improve our church in that way by following Christ yourself and seeking to improve in personal holiness and then helping others to do the same. Any questions or comments quickly? Bill. Yes.
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to consider yourself when when you're away from church for whatever reason, one reason one reason or another, um, how encouraging it can be to receive a note that's given at a proper time and giving a word of encouragement rather than a kind of a scolding condemnation, like how dare you miss what is necessary for your soul. Okay, not that sort of thing, but um, yeah, that 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 could be helpful, and it's like. I've got a whole group of people who care about me and who are thinking about me and praying about me. And so I need to be back in touch with this church. Yeah, I think I think we drop the ball sometimes as a church by not pursuing um, other believers. And uh, again, that doesn't have to be a formal program where we say, okay, you're going to contact all the people who are gone. Uh, it can be just any one of you. And I know that happens because I hear all the time <clears throat> Mrs. Parks tells me <clears throat> about the letters that she receives and the cards, and and uh, Louise and Mike have told me about the same thing. So um, I know that kind of thing is happening, but but maybe we could be even better at that. So good. All right, well, let's pray, and we'll um, be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word, and and Lord, thank you for this church, and we pray that you would help us to see the value of it and to recognize our place in it, that we are not here to just be consumers and just receive, receive, receive from all the benefits of, of uh, the other believers within this church, but we are here also to give and to be a provider. And so help us to think about our responsibility in that way and, and to be um, satisfied with, with the growth that you are providing, but also... Uh, searching and longing for more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.